and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. I have quite a show for you tonight. Um, I think this is the longest episode we've had in a little while. Next week is going to be a long episode too because it is the true horror episode that you've all been waiting for and I got so many submissions. This is the first time, um, I'm going to go into it next week, but this is the first time I've actually had to not use all of them because it the episode would have probably been like four hours long. I, I'm i going to save them. Don't worry. I, I've, I'm not tossing them aside, but I'm saving them for maybe a future true horror episode. But um, yeah, I'm so excited for next week. Um, this week, I have some incredible stories for you. I feel like this week is a week where if you've really been wanting to get a friend or a family member or a co-worker into the show, I feel like this week is a really great set of stories to introduce someone to kind of a little bit of everything for the show. These three stories are incredible by incredible authors. They're all so different, but yet they go together so beautifully. You'll see why. It's in the title. Um, you'll figure it out. But yeah, I this is a great introduction episode, basically. I don't know if I've had one of those in a while where I could f- firmly say... And confidently say this is a great introduction episode. So if you are here because a coworker or friend or family member um, told you to come, hello, welcome. I'm Shelby. Um, I'm here to tell you to drink water and tell you some scary stories. All right, let's get right into it, shall we? This first story is by a new author to the show, Tina Michelle. Thank you so much, Tina. For sharing with us your story, Chills in the Carnations. It started when we were first married, when anyone walked across a little patch of dead brown grass in our new front yard, a shiver went down my spine. At first, I didn't realize we had only just moved into our new home. It's a modest little cottage-style house on a quiet cul-de-sac. David, my husband, and I thought it would be the perfect place to raise a family. I could picture our children riding bikes up and down the block with their little friends, imaginary adventures in the backyard, maybe even a fortress or playhouse. Each trip to and from the moving van, I shivered, but it was December. What else could I expect? But as the mailman walked across the lawn early the next morning, a shiver would make its way up and down my spine. When David or I would walk across the front yard from our car to the front door with our groceries, I always got a little chill. It only continued from there. Six months later, we were bringing in supplies for the neighborhood barbecue, and as per usual, the shivers began. I tried to ask David if he felt them too, but I suppose it was just me. (laughs) Nancy, he said, with a twinkle in his murky hazel eyes. It's the middle of July. How can you be cold all of a sudden? I shrugged. I guess it was just a fluke, I replied. I had to be going crazy. It was just shivering. Everyone gets chills from time to time. There's nothing special about the front lawn. But still, as our guests came to the front door, the chills raced up and down my back. Eventually, we brought our child into the world, a beautiful baby girl named Danielle, Danny for short. She inherited her father's hazel eyes and my brown hair. She took her very first steps in her front yard. As her little toddler feet tottered across the grass, I tugged my cardigan tighter around my shoulders. I had taken to wearing one year-round not long after we moved in. As she grew, David built her a swing set in the front yard, 
She loved it. And I shivered in time with the rise and fall of the swings. One day, I hosted the neighborhood book club. I shivered and tugged at the knit charcoal sleeves of my sweater. Mrs. Dolores must have seen me. They say when you get a chill down your spine, someone walks over your future grave, she said. I laughed at it along with the other women, like I did all other old wives' tales. It was a silly made-up story. There's no way that could be true. Why would I be buried in my front yard? Still, from that day on, I thought of it each time I got a little chill. As David and I grew older, we started to grow apart. At first, it was little fights over the dishes and laundry after Danny went to bed. But things escalated from there. It became car notes, harsh accusations, and threats of divorce. We tried couples therapy, but he only grew more distant. He only agreed to stay together for Danny, but I hoped against hope that we would work things out someday. I couldn't lose my husband. How would that affect my darling daughter? Soon, David and I hardly talked. But the shivers continued. After Danny started high school, the playground was taken down. As it faded, it became an eyesore. David spent a lot of time on his phone and came home late. I noticed a rise in texts to an unknown number on our phone bill. He worked overtime and met one of his co-workers, Angela, in bars and nice restaurants. I suspected an affair, but I didn't want to know. If I ignore it, it will go away. He'll come back. David would never leave me. He said it was strictly business. I would wake late in the night and just shiver before he came in the front door. I knew he resented me. I saw the side glances he gave when he thought Danny and I weren't paying attention. Our daughter suspected nothing, and I was grateful. She was preoccupied with her new boyfriend, Ricky. But I saw. I saw the way he glared, and I saw the way he smiled at his phone. I knew I had been replaced, perhaps by Angela. I hoped Ricky wouldn't be a David. Still, when Ricky came by to pick up Danny, I felt a chill run down my spine. One night, when Danny was out with her friends, David cooked me dinner, a pasta, I think it was an Alfredo. He smiled and lit candles at the dining room table. He wore his favorite navy business suit, and I put on my nicest dress, a pale, lacy thing that fell to my knees. You look beautiful tonight, Nancy, he said as he pulled out a chair. You as well, David. I smiled up at my husband and began to twirl the pasta under my fork. I noticed David wasn't eating as much as normal. He only nudged his noodles around the plate. Are you alright? I asked. To think I was concerned for him. Of course, I just don't have much of an appetite tonight. Long day at work. I thought we were making up. I thought we would be a happy family again. I thought maybe this would be the end of the affair, and Danny would come home to two parents who loved each other. However, the only thing that stopped was the chills that had been racing up and down my spine. After a few months, a flower garden replaced the clover that had once caused my shivers. My beautiful Danny tended to the blood-red carnations that grew above me. David hardly seemed to pass them 
I doubt he even looks at them. Eventually, I heard Angela cross by my carnations. I suppose David remarried at some point, and I wondered if Angela would feel the chills run up and down her spine as well. Our second story of the evening is by Tracy Carville, and you know Tracy's work from Can I Come In, which a lot of you loved, um, and The Lighthouse Keeper, which is one of my favorites I've ever had on the show. To be honest, you know me, I love haunted lighthouses. And this is another terrifying tale by Tracy. And despite its title, I promise it's not gross. I would tell you, I would let you know in the show notes, I promise it's not squishy. It, the title is not misleading, it's just different than what you would think it is. This is Leech. Sally knew it before she even turned the corner. When she saw the lights flashing blue against the bricks in the wall, reflecting against the darkened window glass, she felt the heavy, hollow dread in the pit of her stomach, and she knew. She pulled her car over to the side of the road a short distance away and got out, taking deep breaths to try to clear the leaden sickness settling in her gut. Spotting a police officer writing in a notepad, she walked over. Excuse me? The officer looked up, his eyes hard and no nonsense. Sorry, miss, I'll have to ask you to- I'm his girlfriend. Sally interrupted. Rob Matthews. Is he- The officer's eyes widened a little in surprise, then softened. She could read the sympathy there. Practiced line-of-duty sympathy. Oh, God. He is. Isn't he? The officer placed a hand on her arm. Why don't you come and sit down, miss? He said, in a kind tone, which nonetheless gave no room for refusal. She allowed him to lead her to a police car and open the door for her. She sat on the edge of the seat, with her feet on the curb as he crouched in front of her. You said you're the... the young man's girlfriend. She winced at that hesitation. That moment of space in which the word deceased hung like an unspoken curse, and nodded. She wasn't crying yet. Why wasn't she crying? Can I ask how you know what's happened? The officer continued. Sally pulled her phone out of her pocket. He messaged me, she replied. He said he was tired of being tired of the nightmares, and he'd been talking about it. I... I had a feeling... Ah, there were the tears. It was almost a relief as they came, and Sally's words faltered and dissolved into sobs. Big, racking sobs that hurt her stomach and made the officer's eyes flicker with alarm. All right, he said kindly. You just sit there and take it easy. I'm going to find the detective and get you something to drink. You just stay put, okay? She nodded barely noticed as he stepped away, exchanged words with another officer, and then headed into the house. All she could think about were the last words she'd received from Rob before she jumped into her car and sped over. She's here. I can't do this anymore. I'm just so tired. She wins. Detective Costa put the coffee cup down in front of Sally and looked at her expectantly. 
slowly blinking her way out of her reverie. Sally took the cup and wrapped her fingers around the warm cardboard. Thank you. Costa paused, then shrugged. Hmm? No joke? I usually get a joke. Sally frowned. What? The coffee! Costa pointed at the cup. Sally moved her hands and belatedly recognized the burgundy cup with the white lettering on the side. Oh. She smiled weakly. Right. Costa sat down, throwing the jacket she had over her arm onto the spare chair next to her. Not in the mood, I gather, she said gently. Understandable. Sorry to get you into one of these charming interrogation rooms, but it does help us out to have a recorded statement, especially in unusual situations. Sally nodded. Of course, I I guess it is pretty unusual. Well, in cases of suicide, loved ones do often have a suspicion ahead of time, Costa said. So that part isn't quite so unusual, but being so spot on, that's odd. Are you okay to go through it one more time? Sally took a deep breath and looked up. Okay. Costa pressed a button on the recorder and consulted a file that was lying, waiting on the table next to her left hand. So, at 1.37am this morning, you called 999 from your mobile phone to report that you suspected your boyfriend, Robert Matthews, was going to attempt to take his own life. At that time, you were already in your car... And after giving your boyfriend's address, you stated you were on your way there and hung up. Sally nodded silently, then remembered the recorder. Uh, yes. Costa gave a slight nod. Emergency services arrived at Robert's address at 1.49 a.m. You arrived at 1.56 a.m. At 2.07 a.m., Paramedics ceased trying to revive him. They estimate that he hung himself a few minutes before you called 999. Sally nodded again, blinking back the sting of fresh tears. I... I tried to call him back a few times after he hung up on me. I shouldn't have. Costa reached forward and covered Sally's hand with hers. Take it from me, sweetie. She said kindly. The blame game does nobody any good. Try not to blame yourself. We do what we think is right at the time, and chances are good that if he'd chosen any other method, we'd have got to him in time. Sally smiled. Thank you. Costa withdrew her hand and looked back at the file. The call handler reported that they attempted to call the phone number attached to the address you gave, but they were unable to get through. Yeah, um, Rob only used the phone line for the internet, Sally replied. He had a phone, but he never plugged it in. He just used his mobile for calls. Not that uncommon these days, Costa commented with a nod. Let's see. When you arrived at the scene, you spoke first of all to Officer Mintram, who ascertained who you were, then came to get me. What you then told me was that Robert had been having bad dreams for some time, and you'd been concerned for his health, and you thought that these had something to do with his death. I'm certain of it, Sally replied, without hesitation. All right. Costa leaned back in her chair. Why don't you tell me about it from the beginning? Sally hesitated, then took a deep breath. (sighs) The first time Rob mentioned the dream to me was after the woman across the street died. 
Rob had been the one to find her. He had a part-time job delivering groceries for Tesco to supplement his proper office job since he liked living alone and even on 23,000 pounds a year, he couldn't quite manage the rent on his flat, his car, and his gaming hobby. On that particular evening, it had just been getting dark as he arrived outside Mrs. Blake's flat. She had a ground floor flat in a supported living retirement complex, which was probably why she didn't mind receiving her deliveries late. They had a security guard at the door. The guard knew Rob and let him in with a smile, holding the door open for him as he maneuvered the heavy plastic crate of groceries into the foyer and headed for the corridor labeled Flats 1-14. through 14. Mrs. Blake lived in Flat 12, which was at the far end of the hall, opposite Flat 14. There was no Flat 13, something that Rob had remarked on to Sally not so long after he started delivering there. Lots of places don't have a number 13, Sally had told him at the time. Hotels, blocks of flats, it's a superstitious thing. Some very tall buildings don't even have a floor 13. Rob had made a joke about her being a spooky weirdo for knowing that, and they'd laughed and gotten off the subject. As was the routine, Rob had rung the bell on flat 12's door before opening, knowing it would be open if she was expecting him. It was open, and he let himself in and went into the kitchen, putting the crate on the kitchen counter with a small sigh of relief. Then he looked around. Mrs. Blake? The flat was silent. No TV on playing Only Fools and Horses or Faulty Towers on Yesterday, Mrs. Blake's channel of choice. No, good evening, Mr. Matthews, as he walked in. No coffee bubbling in the pot, no biscuits and a plate on the counter. That was odd. There was, however, a note. It was lying on the counter next to the coffee pot. And to Rob's surprise, it was addressed to him. He picked it up with the tips of his fingers, which he was grateful for later, were encased in a fresh pair of latex gloves thanks to the recently passed pandemic, and read it with a growing sense of trepidation. Mr. Matthews, no one else is likely to find this before you, since I have no children and my husband died years ago. Do you remember the tall man I told you about? He's been whispering to me again, and he's getting harder to ignore. My doctor tells me it's dementia, and while I have my doubts about that, I cannot deny that my past is getting more and more distant. Maybe it is dementia. Maybe it's a brain tumor, like the one that killed my mother. Either way, I've decided not to wait around to find out. I apologize for inconveniencing you, but I don't expect there's much to be done. Thank you for chatting with a batty old woman once a week, and I wish you all the best in life. With affection, June. Rob's first thought was that he hadn't known her first name was June, and he'd been delivering to her for at least six months. His second thought was less coherent. It was the sudden sinking certainty that he was in a dead woman's house. He put the note down, exactly where he'd found it, and peeked into the silent living room. It was empty. So was the tiny bathroom that was squeezed in between the living room and what, by process of elimination, had to be the bedroom. The door was open, but the curtains were drawn, keeping it dark within. With a shaking hand, Rob fumbled for the light switch and turned it on. Mrs. June Blake had laid herself out on her bed, dressed in what he suspected might have been some of her nicest clothes, her hands folded across her flat, white belly. Her hair was neat and her eyes were closed, as if she were sleeping. The only thing that spoiled it was the dribble of foamy vomit snaking down the corner of her slightly open mouth. It had dried on her pale, waxy skin. The room smelled faintly of sick, shit, and something else Rob didn't want to think about. 
He backed out of the room, went to the front door and picked up the intercom phone, pressing the big blue button that went through to the guard at the front desk. You need to come to number 12, he said, and I guess call an ambulance? Later that night, he'd shown up at Sally's house, and she'd taken one look at his face and invited him to spend the night. They'd only been dating for a few months, but they'd fallen in sync with each other pretty quickly, and she knew right away that he'd need some company that night. Curled up together in bed, he'd told her what had happened. She'd listened without interrupting, waiting for him to finish before she spoke. What did she mean about the tall man? She'd asked. Rob shrugged. Some weird shadow she kept seeing, he replied. Like in the corner of her eye or something. She talked about it like it was some old ghost story. It freaked me out at first, but she didn't seem too bothered, and I got used to it in the end. She talked about it a lot. I guess that's why they called her crazy. Who called her crazy? Her neighbors, the security guards, pretty much everyone. That's mean. Yeah, well, that's people. They'd fallen asleep eventually, once Rob was all talked out. Sally had woken up with a start sometime later with his elbow slammed into her ribs. Ow! She'd cried, startled and half asleep, and rolled over to look at him. Rob, what? He was half sitting in the bed, pointing with a shaky finger to the corner of the room. What is that? He muttered, his voice thick with sleep. Sally looked to the corner and saw nothing out of the ordinary. A chair where she threw her clothes at the end of the day, a framed picture on the wall, nothing else. She looked at Rob again, more carefully, and realized he was still asleep. She put one hand on his shoulder, pushing him gently down until he was lying back on the pillow again. There's nothing there, honey, she said in soothing tones. It's okay. You're just having a bad dream. Am I? Rob had said, sounding almost comically surprised, before rolling over and starting to snore. Sally glanced back at the corner, a little spooked. Just a bad dream, she thought to herself, and snuggled in against Rob's back. Sleep took a while to return to her that night. The next morning over coffee, Sally had asked Rob about his dream. He looked surprised. How did you know I had a bad dream? Sally laughed. (laughs) You elbowed me in the ribs and then shouted that there was something in the corner, she replied. I couldn't miss it. Oh, God, I'm sorry, babe. Rob put his coffee down to give her a hug. But yeah, it was... creepy. He shuddered. I dreamed that there was someone in the corner of your room. Just a shape. I couldn't make out anything about them, but they were there, just... Standing there, watching. Watching us sleep? Sally made a face. Uh, (laughs) No, Rob replied. Watching me? How could you tell? I don't know, he shrugged. I just could. We figured it was just because of poor Mrs. Blake and her tall man stories, Sally told Detective Costa. We thought it would pass, but it didn't. How long ago was this? Costa asked. Sally shrugged. Five, six months ago? I'm not sure. That's okay, Costa replied. I can find out when this Mrs. Blake died. Please go on. What happened next? Uh, Rob kept having the nightmares, Sally said. 
More often than not, he described them to me, and they were all of this shadowy figure that just stood and watched, and he could feel it watching him. Sometimes it was in a corner. Sometimes he opened his eyes and it was looming over his bed. This tall, thin figure with long fingers. When it got closer, he said he could see it was a woman. He said her face was pale and melted like wax. And her eyes were red. She never did anything except stare at him. Every time he had one of these dreams, he'd wake up exhausted, and then he started to get sick. Sick how? Costa asked. At first, he was just tired all the time. Then he started to struggle to breathe from time to time. He said it felt like he had a weight on his chest. After a few weeks, we noticed he was getting really pale and losing weight. Who's we? Sally paused, momentarily confused. Oh, uh, his parents and me. Okay, go on. Well, it would come and go. But when it was the worst, he felt cold to the touch. He'd be too weak to even get out of bed. He'd get confused and disoriented, and he'd have trouble figuring out where he was or what he was doing. But he'd always say the same thing. Costa looked up. What would he say? Sally dropped her gaze to her hands, which were tightly clasped on the table in front of her. She's watching me. There was a short, uncomfortable silence. Costa consulted the file again, then cleared her throat. <clears throat> at the... at Robert's house. You said his last text message to you was, She's here. Do you think he meant this dream woman? Sally nodded. I know he did. And do you think she's the reason he took his own life? At this, the sting of tears came again, too fast for Sally to hold back. She broke into sobs, covering her face with her hands. I'm sorry. (laughs) She croaked. Not at all, it's fine. Costa assured her, pushing a box of tissues over to her. Sally took one and wiped her eyes, ignoring the streaks of mascara on the tissue. You take your time. After a few minutes, Sally said, He'd been talking about it, like he wanted to do it. But like, like he felt like he just couldn't keep going. Like... He felt like he was being forced to do it. Like, like she was waiting for him to do it. To kill himself? Sally nodded miserably. Yes. Had he been to see a doctor? She sighed. Yes, they thought he had anemia or a sleep disorder para parasomnia I think he said or it was PTSD nothing they prescribed or suggested helped Rob just kept getting weaker and weaker what do you think it was Sally shrugged I don't know Maybe it was PTSD. I've heard it can really mess you up, but I thought you needed to go through something really bad to get that, not just... She shrugged again. It can affect people very differently, Costa said gently. Maybe finding that old lady distressed Robert more than he let on. 
Sally looked down at the tissue clasped in her hands. (laughs) Maybe. That night, after being awake for nearly 48 hours, Sally collapsed into her bed, thinking she would sleep for days. She was mentally and physically exhausted, running on caffeine and grief and eager to just escape from the world for a while. She was asleep within seconds of her head hitting the pillow. When she woke, it was still dark, and the house was silent. Her housemate must have been asleep, or she'd be able to hear the TV. Carla almost always had something playing on the TV. She wasn't sure what had woken her, but the prickle running up her spine told her that something wasn't quite right. Looking around, she glanced at the chair in the corner and froze. There was someone standing behind it. Sally lay perfectly still and watched the figure. It stood motionless, just a human-shaped shadow in the darkness. She stared willing it to turn into a coat hanging on the wardrobe door or a trick of the light thrown by the street lamp outside her window. But it remained, tall and slender and shadowy and watching. Oh God, it's what Rob saw. Frozen in fear, she willed one hand to creep out beneath the covers toward the lamp on her bedside table. It took her what seemed like an age before her fingers found the cable switch and flipped it on. Light flooded the room, and the corner was empty. Sally shot up in bed, gasping, and looked wildly around the room. There was no one there. But still, the feeling of being watched lingered. She didn't get any more sleep that night. You look like shit, Carla commented, taking a noisy slurp from her mug of coffee. Sally leaned against the kitchen doorway and glared at her. Thanks. No, really. You look awful. What's wrong? I just didn't sleep well, Sally mumbled, making her way to the kitchen table and slumping into a chair. What, again? Carla frowned. Sal, this is like the sixth night in a row. Eighth, actually. Sally rubbed her face with one hand. Can I have some of that coffee? Frowning, Carla got up and poured a fresh cup of coffee from the bubbling pot. Sliding it over the table to Sally, she sat down and picked up her own cup again. I think you need more than coffee, sweetie, she said. I think you need a doctor. What did Rob's doctor say again? Sally glowered at her. You can't catch anemia, she snapped. I'm fine, I'm just... you know. Carla nodded. Look, no one expects you to be over Rob in a few weeks, she said gently. But this not sleeping thing is getting a bit... much. Do you know how pale and tired you look? I really think you should go see a doctor. Get some sleeping pills or something. Sally sighed. If I promise to make an appointment, will you shut up about it? Carla grinned. No promises. She jumped up and put her mug in the sink. I have to go to work. You still off? Sally nodded and sipped her coffee, grimacing at its bitter taste. Compassionate leave. Yay. She muttered. Good. Get some more sleep. Carla patted her on the shoulder as she went by. Take care of yourself, girl. Sally nodded again, watching her friend bounce up the stairs with far too much energy for so early in the morning. She didn't know how to tell her that sleeping was the last thing she wanted to do. How was she supposed to explain what was happening? She thought back to the early hours of that morning and shuddered, despite the bright sunlight shining through the kitchen window. She had woken up at 2 a.m. from a horrible dream. 
in it, she had been calling out to Rob to help her. She's coming! She had kept crying. She's coming for me like she came for you! Rob had been ahead of her, arms outstretched, trying to reach her, but no matter how quickly she ran to him, she never got any closer. Eventually, she tripped and fell, and cold hands grabbed her ankles and pulled her back, further from Rob, into darkness. When she had awoken, the room was dark, and she was shivering with cold, despite it being early summer. The dream lingered around her so strong that she could still feel a cold hand wrapped tightly around her ankle. Then, she'd look down to see the figure crouching at the end of the bed, the clammy gray fingers on her bare skin, the faintly glowing red eyes, and the wide, jagged grin. She'd fallen back in terror, and a heavy weight seemed to settle on her chest, holding her down. She could barely move, and the thing at the end of the bed released her ankle and drifted forward as it came out of the shadows and leaned down over her. She had seen its face, and it was not the wrinkled, haggard old woman that she had come to expect from Rob's stories. It was still haggard and gray, and the flesh hung loosely on its bones. But she still recognized him at once. It was Rob. And we've come to our third story of the evening, our last story. And after this, I have to say goodbye to you for another week. This is by Hannah Fletcher, and I would like to tell you, maybe give those trigger warnings a little uh, look-see if you feel so inclined. This one has some some pretty intense triggers, um, but I'm so excited to share this with you. This is Ink. The intensity of the darkness was terrifying, and the thickness of it was suffocating, sinking and floating at the same time. She clawed her way through the velvety sheets of black, like ink that was billowing into water. She could breathe, but only just. She could move but only to keep from sinking further down. And she could see, but only the blood dripping from her fingers as she clawed through what felt like nothing. Clearly it was something. As the billowing sheets of ink and darkness enveloped her, the panic only grew closer, closer, closer. And still closer they grew, until she inhaled the sheet of black into her mouth every time she drew a breath. It was suffocating, dizzying, too much. She could no longer... (gasps) Suddenly, the girl gasped as though she was coming up for air, sitting straight up in bed as she did so. Panic wrapped itself around her throat as her breathing gradually slowed. (sighs) It was a dream. It wasn't reality. She was simply in her bed, under covers, comfortable, safe. It was a Friday morning and the clock said 6.45, 15 minutes before she had to leave for work. It was June in Virginia, where the warm weather was being welcomed in and its habitants looked forward to it excitedly golden sunbeams poured in from the window and draped across her pillow 
as the birds reminded her of the need to get out of bed. So she tore the covers off her body, damp because of the anxious sweating from last night. Once she reached the bathroom, the tile floor was cool on her feet, and the water she splashed on her face woke her up quickly. The girl got dressed and ready to go to her job at the farm a few minutes down the road, and it was scorching outside. Much hotter than the window in her room let on. Much hotter. It was three in the afternoon, the hottest and most humid part of the day. She had just gotten off work, and her and her fiancé planned on going to the river with their friends. Clouds of dirt were coughed up by the truck as they made their way on the gravel paths to the river, dirtying the back window and blocking their eyesight. Then they were there, finally, at the edge of the water. They all sat down on the riverbank, enjoying the food they had brought with them, refreshing them from the sun baking their skin. What happened to your fingers, Lucy? Her fiancé asked with a concerned look. She looked down at her hands before she bit into her sandwich and realized that they were torn up, partially caked with dried blood. She hadn't noticed that before. Huh. It's probably just from work today. Satisfied with the answer, Lucy proceeded to eat her lunch, and the day went on as lovely as ever. It was summertime, and that's how it should be. It was 11 p.m., and she was laying in bed. She'd eaten dinner with Flynn, and they had parted ways. And now she was exhausted. She had no idea why she was so tired, though, because it had been like any other day. There was nothing unusual about it that would ask more energy than normal. But here she was, her eyes feeling weighted, unable to keep them open as hard as she tried. Her limbs sunk into her mattress heavy and aching, as the blanket swaddled her skin. Finally, she gave in and her eyes closed, and her soul settled into sleep. It was back. The darkness swarmed around her, ink billowing like curtains yet again. She was clawing her way through the dark, through the folds of blackness and getting nowhere. 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 She wasn't going anywhere, not even down, but had the feeling that she was sinking, the loss of control, the sinking in the pit of her stomach, the change in gravity. She felt all of that, but wasn't going down. She continued to claw her way through the substance as it got closer, closer, and closer, suffocating her, drowning her pulling her down. She couldn't breathe. Her limbs were flailing as she gasped for air, only inhaling more of the substance, being pulled in her mouth like a thin piece of paper. She clawed at her throat, trying to cough up the billows, and some of the ink came back out. It was tinted red. It was ten in the morning now, when she sat straight up again. And this time... The dream had lasted longer. Lucy had never had repetitive dreams before, so this was unusual. She struggled to take her breath back, still and slowly. It returned. But she soon forgot the unsettling feeling of waking up from what she had dreamed, because she was almost late, again, to what she had planned for the day. Lucy ran to the bathroom, and as she was washing her face... She noticed her face in the mirror, or, more specifically, her neck. She saw that there were small cat scratches across her neck and there was a small amount of blood. But Lucy didn't have a cat. Quickly, she got back on track and hurriedly rinsing her mouth, she tasted blood. It was just that slight, irony taste that made her pause and look in her mouth to see if she had accidentally cut her gums. But she hadn't. She looked at her cupped hands, the water still running off of them, and noticed there was a bit of red mixed in with the water that was draining into the sink. As she turned her hands over, she noticed her fingertips, raw, scratched, and bleeding. 
What could that have even been from? Ignoring it because of the urgency of time, she pushed it out of her mind and into her subconscious. It was 10.30 when Lucy left her house, and soon she was at the docks where her, Flynn, and one of their friends was going fishing. They got on the small motorboat and set out on the river, preparing their equipment before they found the right place to stop. A few hours went by of the sun beating down on them, turning their skin red and glistening with sweat. They'd each caught a few, thrown them back in after admiring their catch, and now they had just finished eating a small lunch. Flynn rocked the boat playfully, winking at her, hinting that he would throw her in. She laughed, wanting to get a taste of the cool river water, murky and tantalizing. Her friend took the cue and shoved her off the side of the boat with both hands, tipping the boat, causing Lucy to lose her balance and fall off. But Lucy saw it coming and grabbed her hand, taking her down with her. The water was perfect. It was dark and cool, not too cold and quickly wrapped itself around her body. She was still smiling and kicked her feet to propel her back to the surface. Flynn reached out his hand and she took it as he pulled her back into the boat. She laughed and turned around to help her friend up. But when she stuck out her hand, Athena wasn't there. She was nowhere. There was no disruption in the water, no sign that she had even been there in the first place. Lucy quickly looked at Flynn, whose brow was furrowed, looking around all sides of the boat. Nothing. Nobody. Except for the distant sound of an old motor gradually getting closer to them. But no Athena. Suddenly, Athena's head rose out of the water and she was gasping for air. But she wasn't panicking. She was smiling. She admitted that she had held her breath for as long as she could, hoping to surprise them. They told her it had worked and laughed with the relief of everything being okay. Normal. Safe. The distant motor was closer now, and they could see the boat. It was a small thing, and one man was steering it while the other was standing up. They pulled up near the boat, awkwardly close, and waved. The two men threw their lines out into the water and sat facing them, not making any effort at small talk. Lucy, Flynn, and Athena all looked at each other, holding back laughter from the awkwardness of the situation. Uh, hey there! How are y'all doing today? Flynn asked, breaking the silence. The man who was standing up first answered. Well, it's been alright. Getting better, though. No more questions were asked, and Flynn nodded his head and replied, saying he was glad to hear it. Lucy was analyzing the men, noticing the way they dressed and how they interacted. The men's clothes were typical, Carhartt overalls and snapback hats. But what stood out to Lucy was that everything looked new. No oil stains or paint splatter or dirt. No rips or holes in the hats. Nothing. Everything looked brand new. But... Maybe they were just tryhards. Maybe they wanted to be rednecks, but they really weren't. So they just tried to wear what everyone else wore. That was probably it. The man sitting down looked at her when she asked if they'd caught anything good. And something felt weird. When she looked at his eyes, she didn't see tired, sun-kissed, wrinkled eyes to fit his lifestyle. No. She saw eyes filled with intense focus and energy. He stared at her for too long of a moment before answering, and when he did reply, Not yet. But I think we're about to find some real good ones. Lucy didn't feel that typical chill make its way up her spine, or shiver at the creepiness. Instead, she felt the need to hide, to get away as soon as possible and lock the doors and feel safe. She felt the need to protect, too. She looked at Flynn and Athena, who both looked at her, with clear looks of polite confusion. Flynn smiled disingenuously and told the fisherman, Well, we best be on our way. 
Hope y'all catch some big ones out there. Just as he bent down to start the motor, the same man spoke up. Oh, no, no. We'll head out. Don't let us kill your party. Nice talking. See y'all later. He looked again at Lucy, and in one smooth motion, popped the top of a long neck, slowly licking the ice-cold condensation off the side of it as he proceeded to chug half the bottle, continuing to make eye contact with her. He started the motor when they sped off, occasionally looking back at the group. Wow, that was weird. That's what we call a couple of creepers. Lucy remarked. They agreed and collected the last of their equipment, neatly packing it up to load into their cars once they docked the boat. They'd gotten back to the dock, loaded the boat onto Flynn's trailer, and parted ways. Lucy hugged Athena before she left, telling her she really enjoyed their time and made plans to hang out again next week, and walked over to Flynn to help him finish tying down the boat, talking about the day. He was special, unlike anyone she had ever met. He cared deeply for her, genuinely wanting to know how she was really doing, and he was interested in her heart. Lucy was so excited to marry him, to spend the rest of her life being the best she could for him, because that's what he deserved. He deserved the best version of her, because he loved her more than anyone else ever had, and she felt the same way. After kissing her goodbye and making sure she got to her car safely, Flynn drove off, kicking up a cloud of dirt behind his pickup. As Lucy fumbled for her car key, she dropped it under her car and found that the key was inconveniently buried between the thick blades of overgrown grass. Shit. She knelt down, awkwardly positioning herself between the car and the ground, reaching as far as she could under it to get the key. She closed her eyes as she reached painfully farther, feeling the prickly brambles for what she needed. Suddenly, Lucy felt a hand grab her wrist from the other side of the car and pull. Her bones crushed under the unusual strength of his grip, and she cried out as her shoulder dislocated from being yanked so quickly. Lucy heard the ball and socket separate in her shoulder, and felt the bones in her hand crack. She could tell it was a man immediately. The strength, mostly, but also in the clamminess of his skin. She panicked. Never in her life had she ever felt this much pain. This afraid and this hopeless. And the worst part is that she knew. She knew it was over. That there was nothing she could do about it. And that they were going to get away with whatever they were about to do. This felt so... Final. Lucy's other arm was planted into the dirt, clawing at the ground, attempting to free herself, but very quickly it was torn away from her, just like the other, ripping her shoulder apart and cracking the bones in her hand. Finally, the man on the other side let go and came around the driver's side of the car, grabbing her hand again and twisting it behind her. Who are you? Lucy cried, her voice quivering with fear, confusion, and tears. They didn't answer. They just led her towards the water and their boat her arms held behind her. They shoved her over the side of it, and her shoulders slammed into the bottom of the metal boat at all the wrong angles, her head hitting hard. The men pushed the boat back into the water and climbed into it, staring at Lucy. Finally, she was able to look up and see their faces. It was them. But somehow, she already knew that. Somehow she knew deep down that these were not try-hard rednecks or socially awkward individuals, and they were not even fishermen. They were hunters, and she was their game, in every sense of the word. And they all drove off, back out into the river. Just their stares were all that were needed to keep her from struggling against them. As much as Lucy wanted to put up a fight, she physically couldn't. Finally, the boat stopped in a remote part of an area overgrown with cattails, and they turned off the engine. That's when one man bent her over, inexpressive, which said everything. 
His eyes said everything. But she wasn't about to go down without putting up a fight. Lucy reached out her arm, fighting against the searing pain, and dug her nails deep into the flesh of the man's face, pulling her hand across it. His hands immediately flew up to his face and he cried out in pain. But that wasn't going to change anything. In fact, it only encouraged him. Somehow the wounds were hardly bleeding and he lunged forward again, this time picking her up by her ears, tearing skin away. His hands grabbed Lucy's shoulders, turning her towards him, and looked her directly in the eyes. He just... stared. The man's eyes were unsettling. The same ones that looked at her from across the boat the first time. She hated those eyes. He stared for a moment more before throwing her overboard. Never an explanation why. Never a motivation. And never a reason. But she fell in. And his face was the last thing she saw before the water enveloped her into its terror. Darkness. Slowly, the water turned into thick, black ink. A dramatic contrast to her pale skin. Lucy tried to swim to the surface, seeing as neither her feet nor her hands were bound. But she could not. She stayed where she was in the water, clawing at the billowing curtains of ink, and her hands bled. Trying to swim up was painful and it didn't get her anywhere. There was nothing she could do. She refused to give up, so she kept clawing and kicking and trying to breathe. Slowly, the water suffocated her. The ink wrapped around her throat, and it tightened. Slowly and painfully, as the shimmer of light she could previously see above the surface suddenly didn't seem so light and it soon turned darker and darker until she couldn't even see it she couldn't even see the black of the ink or the white of her skin nothing she had nothing left to give not even her breath and then She was gone, and she wouldn't ever come back. Thank you all for listening. Thank you so much to my authors. I told you this week was just, I mean, every week is amazing. This week just felt so cohesive. I just felt like those stories really went together. I almost left out one of them to use for a different episode, but I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I felt like these three, literally all three, mentioned having the chills, and I was like, this is... The the universe wants these stories to be told together. Um, I hope you all enjoyed them. I hope you... If you're new here, I hope you like what I did. It's a little bit of everything. First story, not as many sound effects, lots of music, soothing music, Second story, a bit of both. Third story, all sound effects. Um, So I thought that was kind of a neat little stair step that I did with the stories. Here I am bragging about my my, uh, process, my creative process. Um, Not really bragging, just explaining. Um, I really did this, this week I had a, I don't know, these all, every once in a while I'll find some stories that fit together like puzzle pieces in my brain and that's what these did for me this week and I think that yeah I'm been in a little bit of a creative rut lately um not for the show but just generally like writing my own writing and things and this week I'm feeling a little more creative so yeah it's great you guys are really helping that um you know what's really picked up my emotions this week is I I so I'm gonna plug you know follow the show on Twitter, um, Instagram, and Facebook. I know so many people hate Facebook, and I 100% agree with you, and I get it, and I don't blame you for jumping ship and deleting your accounts. I get it, but it's I just haven't found a different another website that works the way Facebook does that I can 
go over to. Um, but last week, I think I mentioned it last week. We actually changed the name since then because we realized the original name wasn't as good. We started a, um, a, a subgroup to the, the scary to sleep Facebook group, which is already so much fun. It's just all like horror memes and like, it's just amazing. It's so much fun. You're all so much fun. So we started Scare You to Eat, and it's just this little subgroup. You can find a link to it in Scare You to Sleep, um, or uh, there. So yeah, follow the link in the show notes to the re- regular group. There's a link to the subgroup, or just ask, and I'll I'll link you over there. Um, I don't know. It's just it's such a fun community. Everyone's sharing their recipes and stuff they got at restaurants, and like they're like like their depression recipes like in which is just as helpful and amazing and I really appreciate it I mean I saw Brittany Bond who's a big supporter of the show was asking today about you know how like just ideas for like lunches to pack for kids to go to the I think you were going to the aquarium I can't remember um but it was just fun to see like other like just moms giving advice and people like I went and asked about like brining food or brining meat and it's just been a great time you all know how much I love food in fact I'm not even going to talk to you about baking because that's my baking spiel right now is just the scare you to eat subgroup in Facebook it's so much fun um anyway uh yeah next week is going to be the true tales episode that starts off our July I can't say much but July is a really important month for the show this year, um, so I'd really appreciate it if you, you all just, you know, <laughs> stayed up to date on the episodes. I can't tell you what to do. I'm not telling you what to do, but it would be really appreciated if you could stay up to date and not save them all this, And because I do the same thing. I will save episodes of my favorite show so I can binge them while I'm playing video games or something, but if you could just stay up to date this month for July, just saying, I can't say why or what anything about it, but it would just really help me out to boost my numbers this month for reasons. Um, so yeah, sorry for being so mysterious. I'm usually pretty open with you guys and I just have to be mysterious about certain things for, you know, not getting sued reasons. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I will let you go. Again, if you are new here, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you go on and tell lots of people about it. Not to sound like a pyramid scheme, but, you know, if you tell two people and those two people tell two people, um, you know, then we've got a whole business going and someday they'll make a documentary about us. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. It's like one in the morning. Um, Okay, I'm going to go. I started a book recently that I'm obsessed with and I'm going to go read a few chapters of that before I go to bed. I love you all. Go drink your water, go get some sleep, and sweet dreams. <laughs>